Okay, hello there and welcome to The Real Podcast, episode five with Dee and Sophia. So welcome back for the next half of eliminating attachment and aversion to experience inner peace. This is part two, aversion defined through Buddhism, modern psychology and esotericism. Over to you, Soph. Namaste, everyone. Attachment and aversion are the two main obstacles to experiencing peace, according to the Buddha. Put very simply, attachment is overestimating the ability of something to bring you happiness. And aversion is the opposite in that you overestimate the ability of something to bring you suffering. The key term here is overestimating. It's a core delusion colouring our present moment and projecting qualities onto people and the world which simply do not exist the way we think. It is wrongly believing we need to get something or remove something to achieve peace and happiness. Let's deep dive into aversion. Aversion manifests itself as anger, revulsion, hatred, dislike, fear, and even indifference. Resistance to change is again another major indication that aversion may be playing a role in life. Aversion is believing you cannot possibly be happy if such and such is present in your life. We have many aversions to people, to work, and especially uncomfortable feelings. We project it's that person that makes me unhappy, but on closer examination, we will see in reality it has more to do with our reactions and not as much to do with others or the situation. When we accept we are 100% responsible for the reaction we choose, we step into our greatest power, the choice of the emotion we choose to experience in the present moment. We can then choose to drop the narrative that life is happening to me and embody the narrative life is responding to me. Sometimes when we are not overestimating the suffering something can bring, we are seeing the situation clearly. There are conditions that cause harm to people that might want to be avoided. And this leads me to my next point. There are healthy aversions. The balanced view of aversion understands there are things that are very toxic to the human condition that should be avoided. Having an aversion for cruelty or environmental degradation are examples of healthy aversions. Now let's explore this more. I think it's extreme to blame a tortured prisoner at war for their suffering entirely. It's not just their story that continues to cause the trauma that the survivor is suffering. It's also the physical damage to the neurological functioning and nervous system, which is now beyond doubt in post-traumatic stress disorders. There is a middle way to understanding the suffering of aversion too. We can improve our conditions to enable happy, healthy lives. It's not just all about how you perceive the world. There is nothing wrong also in wanting to avoid pain and things which are unpleasant. The difficulties can arise when we choose unskillful means of escaping pain or when we find ourselves in a situation where pain can't be avoided. Sometimes a cure can become as problematic as the original difficulty. 
Okay, so for example, if we choose to numb emotional pain by regularly drinking a lot of alcohol and end up with a whole range of social and health problems as a result. And also in the context of meditation, aversion may be seen as a hindrance when we try to escape in some way at the first hint that something unpleasant may be occurring. Now let's hold space to observe both attachment and aversion at play in our lives. In other words, how can we apply the understanding that our suffering is generally about attachment or aversion? It is thought that in the process of getting through our busy days, 95% of the time we are in a neutral state. We're neither experiencing attachment or aversion. Seems to be somewhat of a waste of time, possibly a lifetime. Not entirely. This is where we can practice a sacred pause. And this is done via breath awareness and choosing to be in stillness. For me, the stillness is a spacious void within. The void is timeless and formless, a calm feeling, a safe space, and not affected by the external environment. The first step is being open to this awareness. If you are experiencing disturbing feelings, work out whether it is a form of attachment or aversion. If it's not clear, then sit with it. Meditate on it until it becomes clearer rather than reacting to it. Once identified, you can then contemplate or meditate on what you have been taught and how to deal with it. Look out for the patterns. And underneath those patterns, look for the triggers that bring those patterns out in you. Okay, so for example, an antidote for greed is generosity. When you become aware that your current disquiet has an undercurrent of greed, contemplate or commit to an act of generosity. It may be a prayer for that person or situation, for happiness of all beings. It might be a simple act of kindness or the giving of an offering of flowers or candles or a material gift in that scenario. As you do this, observe what it is about that transformation from greed to generosity that makes you happier or eases the intensity of your suffering. For me, it changed a lot in my understanding of this concept when I'd gone through a very... Um, big personal debt um, acquired through a business venture and I'd spent many years of my life paying this debt back and so it became my new normal to just be in survival in terms of what I could materially afford to live with. So in order to manifest more flow, as I was coming out of my story and reality was becoming a little bit more brighter, um, one of my coaches said to me, I want you to sit in your car and when you drive past a store, I want you to imagine that a $100 bill that is just sitting in your pocket because it always does, you can go into that store and purchase the flowers. You could go in and shout yourself and a friend um, lunch 
And how would that make you feel knowing that you could just park your car, walk in, do that, come back? And that was how I changed that feeling of I'm not able to receive that right now to that is in my reality. It is within my reach and I'm there. I just need to allow that now to come into my space. And that made me feel a lot more hopeful. And then from hope it became gratitude. And then from gratitude it became reality. So that's just something that might help you understand how we go from those particular words in that example to how it might manifest in your own lives. It's just basically repeated awareness of the nature of how you experience attachment and aversion and how you can transform those experiences to experiences of loving kindness and compassion. And this will accumulate as you commit to training the mind. And then you create new neural pathways and new realities happen. Another expression I've come across is habituation. And this is where we make a habit of practicing awareness and a habit of applying the antidote. And over time, we habituate the practice of loving kindness and compassion. The afflictions of attachment and aversion are slowly shaken loose once we continue to habituate the practice of the antidote and we become more content in our circumstances as they are. Gratitude sets in, like I spoke about in my personal story. The happiness that we do then experience is real and it lasts and it carries us into the next experience that we have when we apply the antidote and eventually becomes our reality. Keeping it simple should make it easier to focus on the awareness and practice and not get caught up in needing to understand everything from the start. So back to my personal example, if I'd questioned my coach and said, well, how's that going to help me now? Where is it going to get me? I would have missed the vibrational frequency journey that it had set me on. And I would have never got to the point where I could see that what your thoughts and the vibrational frequency they hold create a reality is your choice. It is your greatest power. It is your present moment. So really um, drop into that last few words, not getting caught up in needing to understand everything from the start. And that's your clue to transforming the way that you experience your life. Over to Dee. Wow. Thanks for sharing this, Soph. I love it. I love the depth in that and the, and the story as well. Yeah, thanks heaps. So you might notice that I keep coming back to the importance of meditation over and over again. There is a good reason for this. I was thinking just this morning after having gone through a mini in-breath cycle this last week where I was in the crucible, as they call it, not feeling great and sitting with my stuff. You know how it goes. I was uh, seeing how my emotions are still somewhat clouding my judgment and running the show. And in esoteric terms, the glamour runs through the astral body and distorts the truth with our emotional patterns that we have. So my point is that whenever I have stuff coming up, I like to and know to go into a meditative state to pause, to look at and work through the challenge that I'm feeling, be it an attachment or aversion-based scenario, right? So these are these two-hour sessions that I sometimes sit with. And this also brings me back to how all suffering begins and ends in the mind. 
We are emotional beings after all, right? And overcoming this is, as I said in a previous episode, extremely difficult. But small steps into awareness and stillness will eventually create the space for our soul's light to bring forth that love and the intuition. Reality is stillness, presence, awareness, and clarity are again what it all comes back to for me. When I think more deeply about the processes that I use, the biggest challenge I've had is learning and truly embodying what the saying all suffering begins and ends in the mind actually means because we are essentially always reacting to or responding to an external event, something that is happening in our environment around us. A reaction can be attached to one or more emotional triggers and the bigger the reaction, the more emotional we may become. So responding to, on the other hand, as I see it, is to see the event with awareness and not have an emotional reaction at all, or at least being aware of the reaction and pulling up before it occurs. But simply understanding that is not our stuff. Simply understanding that it is not our stuff in the first place, but an external event of circumstances, and that it actually has nothing to do with us. That's an interesting concept there, right? When one is really able to see this for what it is, the ability to cut off from other people's stuff becomes more possible. When I started using this strategy for daily living, it changed my life in many ways. At work, I could see more clearly what was happening and my calm demeanour was also calming for anyone receiving it, really. So you might understand that in a residential youth working environment, this could be very useful, right? It was, it was. So and to take it to the next level, when I realised how powerful this and other similar strategies were, I began using them across the board, at home and generally with anyone I was in conversation with who seemed to be in a reactive state of mind. I even found that there are different deepening layers and levels to this awareness that come from being present and being able to spot these attachment and aversion situations as they arise. So specifically during the last four years of my deepening journey on the esoteric spiritual path. Another deep dive angle here is in a story. When I started my career as a youth worker, I embarked on a journey that took me into the depths of adolescent trauma, right? Pretty intense, as you could imagine. Adolescent trauma in kids as young as 12 months old. So I've got a story to share. I'm going to call this young boy Freddie. Not his real name, but Freddie will do. He was 12, literally. There was a team of us, residential youth workers, six or seven of us maybe, living in a big house, round the clock, 24-7, group of siblings, uh, four between 12 months old and 13 years old, I think. So young Freddie came to us motionless, moveless. He wouldn't move, he wouldn't talk, wouldn't cry, wouldn't do anything, nothing at all, nada. So after 12 months, however, of nurturing, compassion, love, he was back on his feet, being as cheeky as ever, the little rascal. So it only took 12 months of love and compassion to help change his entire environment. Now, it was, it was heartbreaking to see this little guy in the state, obviously, but we got in there, used all these techniques and skills to help him break through that and get to the next level. Um, he eventually went out to foster care and started living his life um, more easily. So this was a life-changing event for sure, for sure. And it didn't take long to realise that most adults are actually below or not much, much past the early teen years in their emotional intelligence or EQ. 
Now, I don't say this to judge or criticise anyone. I say this because this is what I've seen many times, and I'm the same. I'm not excused from this. Uh, it's not their fault. It's what it comes down to. They just never or potentially never had the need to grow to that full potential due to using aversion and or escapism to avoid completely talking through a challenging situation, these situations that we grow from. So avoiding them through aversion or escapism allowed them to skip over top of all these situations and to sit in this hmm, pre-adolescent stage or phase of their emotional intelligence. It's really very interesting to look at. I've seen it over and over again. So the TCI, or Therapeutic Crisis Intervention Training, taught me another set of tools right, that, again, I started using on adults. And my gosh, were they effective. I started using active listening with positive body language. Game changer. I started using changing the direction of a given situation. I started using managing the environment. This is the main one I still use at the homeless shelter where I work now. It's all about managing the environment to take away those triggers that might um, trigger people. There can be up to 40 people in this environment at once. So that is really important. Another tool I used was acknowledging someone's feelings after a heightened conversation or during. It works really well to de-escalate a reactive outburst, potentially or within that. So these are four of the tools I learned. There were more, but these were big ones that I still use today. So... Put simply, if one can develop an awareness that in all external events we have a choice, there's a choice point that Soph was sharing in a previous episode. So there's that choice point, yeah? We have a choice to not be affected by them at all. We have a choice to discern between reaction and response. We can choose to simply not play into someone else's circumstance that they have created. It's simple in theory, of course, but it's not as easy to accomplish. At least this is how it was for me. So we will now seal this episode with our love note to you, a mindfulness meditation for you to practice right now. Over to Soph to take that home. Okay, so let's just start by creating space. Close your eyes or gaze with a soft focus. And this is where you will sit calmly and find joy in doing nothing. Finding the natural joy of just being in silence within. Know that you are safe and surrender into the joy of that silence within you. This is a powerful way to discover the peace beyond conditions. I want you to remember you already have the potential within you right now to experience the inner peace and happiness you have been searching for. Love, love, everyone. Love, love, Dee. Love, love, everyone, and love, love, Sophia. So much love.